Well, today we're in week three of our study in Jonah, and I hope that you're uh, discovering maybe some new insights from this book. If you had a chance to be here the last couple weeks or listened online, um, I mean, maybe you're like me, I don't know about you, but I find it very easy to just kind of skip right over and ignore the book of Jonah in the Old Testament. You know, when you read through the Old Testament, you're reading books in the Old Testament, I very rarely ever just determine I'm going to read Jonah because, I mean, we already know the story, right? Guy runs from God, guy gets eaten by fish, guy goes to Nineveh, uh, guy obeys God. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a story that, uh, that we often know, and so we, we think we pretty much get the story, or so it seems. So it's easy to just take what the book of Jonah says for granted. But I think in the last two weeks, Pastor Steve has developed some, some really great insights from the first two chapters of this little book. <clears throat> and when I say little, obviously in, in relationship to other books in the Bible, the book of Jonah is very, very small. Uh, but, but I think if you meditate and spend time in that book, you'll find that the message that's contained in there is a big message. Might be a little book, but it's a big message. I'm amazed at how much God can say in so short a period of time. I mean, the book of Jonah is what? For about 48 verses divided into four chapters. And really, you can read the book of Jonah in about less than 10 minutes. I mean, if you wanted to, you could read through Jonah about five or six times in an hour. Anybody done that this week? You really can. It's, it's a very quick book to read through, but... Um, you know, most people, sinner or saint alike, know the story of Jonah. We've heard it in kids' stories, books, cartoons. We focus on Jonah being swallowed by a whale, and we accept that as the complete story. But Jonah was written somewhere around 780 to 750 B.C. And, um, you know, what's interesting is the story of a man being swallowed by a fish as he's running from his God can be found in other cultures and, and other religious traditions. And I think it has its origin right there in the book of Jonah. So um, it's not uncommon for people to use the story of Jonah as a way to try to disprove the Bible. I mean, theologians and scientists and regular people debate the finer points to try to prove that the Bible's not true. You know, was Jonah swallowed by a whale? Could a person be swallowed whole by a fish? Could a person survive three days in the belly of a whale? Was it a whale or was it some other kind of sea creature or a fish of some sort? Was the big fish just another name of a ship that they put Jonah on to, to get him off their ship? Or was, was the big fish the name of a hotel on the beach that they offloaded Jonah to? to try to get him out of their hair. People try to use this story to disprove the Bible. But I have to tell you right now, right up front, that I believe the Bible is the inspired Word of God. From Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, this is the standard of truth on this earth. God spoke these words and everything in it is true. Amen. Amen. And I believe the story of Jonah happened just like God said it happened. So even though we might hyper-focus on the fish story, 
The book of Jonah has a clear message, clear pictures of the gospel. So let's just jump right in this morning, okay? Or maybe be tossed in, I don't know. Study guide and uh, follow with me as I read from Jonah chapter 3. He says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. And Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God, and they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, and covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. But let them not eat food or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hand. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster and he said that he said he would do to them and he did not do it. Amen. That is a revival right there. Uh, Jonah preaches one sermon and an entire city gets saved. Probably the greatest revival in all of history. So let's uh, just recap the story to kind of remind us how we arrive here in Jonah chapter 3. You know, in chapter 1, we hear God's call to Jonah to go to the Assyrian capital of Nineveh. And Nineveh was a very large population center of that day. The city itself was about 8 miles long, had a population of about 150,000 people. It's estimated. It's also estimated that in the metropolitan Nineveh area, there was probably 600,000 people. And I know to us that might, I mean, that's a large city, but that might not seem so large. I mean, Franklin County has, what, uh, 1.3 million or so. But in that day, Nineveh was like Los Angeles, Chicago, and New York all put together. It was a big deal. It was a huge major city. I mean, uh, 40 or 50 years after Jonah preached to the Ninevites, Assyria actually conquered the northern kingdom of Israel, and for a period of time, Assyria was a world power. Nineveh, for a period of time, was the capital of the world until the Babylonians overthrew Assyria. So God told Jonah to go preach to those people in Nineveh. And his message was, if you don't repent... I'll destroy all of you and your city. Of course, we know what happened when Jonah heard that message. Did he get up and run to Nineveh? No, he hopped a ship headed in the opposite direction. He ran. He ran from God, and he ran from Nineveh. 
And you know, Jonah wasn't running because he was afraid. I mean, there was probably reason for him to be afraid. I think hostilities between Assyria and Israel were probably on the rise. And Nineveh probably wasn't a safe place necessarily Hebrew to be living or to go. Jonah probably had reason to be afraid, but that wasn't why he ran. And Jonah wasn't running because he didn't believe God. In fact, it was just the opposite. Jonah believed God. He believed that God told him to deliver the message. And he believed that if he went to Nineveh and delivered the message, that God would restore that city. Jonah had unshakable faith in God. But as Pastor Steve shared with us a week or so ago, maybe, uh, the first week or second week, he said, Jonah ran from Nineveh because he hated the Ninevites. He didn't want Nineveh to be saved. He wanted God to destroy that city once and for all. And Jonah, he was a disobedient, selfish, self-centered, sinful, totally prejudiced guy a lousy prophet with a lousy disposition. He was a whiner. I mean, if you read Jonah, you see all through the book, he's whining, oh, God, kill me. Oh, God, kill me. I should just be dead. He was just a whiner. He was a poor example of a prophet, but God saw fit to use him for this mission. You know, we don't really know much about Jonah. He's only mentioned two other times outside the book of Jonah. One time Pastor Steve shared with us last week was the Matthew 12 passage where Jesus used him as an example for the gospel. The other time is in 1 Kings or 2 Kings 14 where it says that Jonah was a prophet from Galilee, from a little town called Gathhefer. 2 Kings 14.25 says Jonah was a prophet from Galilee. Lousy. I think about in 2 Kings, it says he came from Galilee, but there was a story in John chapter 7 where Jesus was presenting himself to the people, and these Pharisees got into a debate about Jesus. And some of the Pharisees said, well, this guy, he's a prophet from Galilee. And some of the other Pharisees said, come on, there's never been a prophet from Galilee. These were the guys that studied the law and the prophets, right? These were the guys that knew. Second Kings says that Jonah was a prophet from Galilee. Maybe they just forgot about him. or Maybe he was such a lousy prophet they didn't want to claim him. That's probably more of the truth. But Jonah runs from God and he soon learns the hard way that you can't outrun God. And God directs a storm squarely onto Jonah's ship and the crew begins to do everything they can do to save the ship they begin to throw everything overboard they start praying to their gods and the captain probably wanting all hands on deck goes below and finds Jonah curled up in a sound sleep he's in one of those denial sleeps you know I think if I go to sleep when I wake up everything's going to be all better <laughs> captain says hey buddy get up and start praying because we are going down you better be praying. And so after a period of time, Jonah tells his shipmates, guys, you need to throw me overboard. That's the only thing that's going to save you. And after some debate, they decide to, and they chuck him into the ocean. And immediately the storm stops. And I think it's kind of interesting that 
through Jonah's sacrifice, all those sailors are saved. Not just physically, but it says they begin to worship Yahweh. They begin to offer sacrifice to the one true God who brings the storm and the one true God who calms the storm. Aren't you glad that in your life today, those storms come in, God can calm those storms. Well, these sailors start worshiping that God. So they're saved, but what about poor old Jonah? He's thrashing around there in the ocean, and God prepares for him a special little friend. And Jonah ends up as fish food. It says that God prepared a specific fish to swallow Jonah. Now, you know, we could think of the fish as punishment, but actually the fish is an act of salvation from God for Jonah. I mean, when he went into that fish's belly, that might not have seemed like an act of salvation, but that's what it was. That was God's provision in Jonah's life because the fish not only saved Jonah from drowning in the ocean, but through the fish's belly, Jonah was given a second chance. He was given the opportunity to repent and obey Jesus Christ, obey what God wanted him to say. And so Jonah survives three days and three nights in that fish's belly, and while there he repents, and even though he doesn't agree with God's plan, he agrees to carry it out. And so the fish vomits Jonah out onto dry land, and that's where we begin chapter 3. Here's Jonah. He finds himself on this sandy beach. His clothes are probably uh, ripped up a bit. He probably has fish parts and seaweed stuck in places you just don't want fish parts and seaweed. Skin on his body is probably bleached a little bit in patches, maybe burned from the acid in the fish's belly. And I'll bet he didn't smell like roses. I mean, if you think fish smell bad on the outside... That's all I'm saying. So there's Jonah on the beach, dazed and confused. And God says, Jonah, get up and get on down to Nineveh and proclaim the message of judgment I give you. Do you think Jonah spent any time working on another escape plan? Do you think he went and found the ship schedule to see if there was another ship heading out of town? I doubt it. I think he got up and was running to Nineveh with his hair on fire. He said, God, I'm going to do what you've asked me to do. I'm going to go deliver the message of judgment. You know what the name of Jonah means? You know what his name means? Jonah means dove or messenger of peace. Now, isn't that interesting? When I say dove, what other person in the Bible does that give you, um, does it remind you of, especially from the New Testament? Holy Spirit. You know, when Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water. It says the Holy Spirit came on Jonah, or on Jesus, like a dove. The dove is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And when we think about the Holy Spirit, what's one of his jobs? I'm sure he has an infinite number of jobs right now. But, but, but specifically, we know one of his tasks. Jesus said, when I go away, I'm going to send another comforter to you. And he is going to testify and teach you about me. It's the Holy Spirit who says to us, repent. Believe in Jesus. Sure destruction 
is coming if you don't. It's the Holy Spirit who delivers the message of peace to us. Because when we believe what he has to say, then we find peace with God. Amen? So here's Jonah, the dove, the messenger of peace, going to Nineveh. He agrees to to accept the mission of peace and preaches peace to Nineveh and says to them, repent and believe the message of God or sure destruction is going to come upon you. And when he, he delivers that sermon What happens? We see in verse 5, it says, The people of Nineveh believed God. Isn't that cool? That word God there is the word Elohim. You remember in Genesis chapter 1, it says, In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Well, Nineveh believed the creator of all that is. They believed the one true God. Jonah proclaims the message of judgment that God gave him, and the Ninevites believed the good news, the gospel of Jonah, the message of God, that message of repentance and salvation. You know, as I've been thinking about it, I was thinking about the fact that Jonah probably said more to them than just that message, you're going to be destroyed. Don't you think he might have told them about his wild water vacation he just had? His testimony? Don't you think he gave them his own personal fish story? I think he probably wrapped that message of judgment around the story of what's happened to him over the last few days. He was beat up, bruised, and battered. God's story of judgment, repentance, and salvation was written all over his body. And was laced in his words, in passion and power. The Ninevites listened to the proclamation of this crazy prophet. And they believed that just as God had spared Jonah, that he could spare them. Now that was true repentance. There was true repentance from the king all the way down to the lowliest servant. All the way down to the sheep and the goats and the dogs and the frogs and the chickens. The whole kingdom repented. And turn from God. That's what it says. In verse 10 it says, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them. And he did not do it. God withheld the judgment because they repented. They turned from their evil way. That's repentance. That's what true repentance is. Repentance isn't just saying, I'm sorry, and then going back to my old ways. Repentance, true repentance is I turn from the things I'm doing, I walk away, I stop doing those things. That's that's true repentance. True repentance is a change in your heart. And so Nineveh repented, and the entire city was saved. Now, do you see how God selected Jonah for this mission? I mean, God put Jonah through the ringer, so that he would be the man the Ninevites would believe. Because God loves people. God loves Hebrews and Ninevites. God loves people who follow Jesus and people who don't follow Jesus. God loves self-righteous sinners, and God loves pagan sinners. And God loves cities. You know, we uh, we sang the song, The God of This City, and we had 
the Uganda team, and uh, last night we prayed for the Costa Rica team, and we've had the, the White family here as they're getting ready to move to Cambodia. And by the way, they want us to really thank you all. They're leaving, uh, I think, Thursday morning. They want us to thank you all for how you've supported them these last couple, three years. But God loves cities. God loves this entire world. God loves our city. As New Life, we love our city. That's why we are going out into the neighborhoods with Bible clubs this summer to reach the people in our city. That's why we're continuing to spread the gospel through hanging those gospel uh, pamphlets on doors throughout our entire city. That's why we're having people go around the world because God loves people. God wants us to go. I love what John Piper says. He says, when God's doing one thing, God's doing a thousand things. And so in this situation, God was not only working in Jonah's life, but he was working in Nineveh. God knew that Jonah would rebel. Jonah was the exact guy God wanted for this mission. Because he knew of all those people in Israel, Jonah was going to be the one that was so prejudiced against the Ninevites that the first thing he was going to do was run. God knew Jonah would rebel. He knew that he'd run, and God had a plan for Jonah. Because in chapter 1, verse 17, it says God prepared a fish for Jonah. God sent a storm on the ship, and he prepared a fish for Jonah. He used the circumstances in Jonah's life to, number one, teach Jonah about his heart of redemption and his desire to redeem people. And God saved Jonah through the fish, because he wanted to save Nineveh. I mean, Jonah didn't need saving, right? He was already believing in God, but Nineveh needed salvation. But God was working in Jonah's life so that Jonah would be the exact man that the Nineveh. You know, this week I was thinking about it, <clears throat> and I was thinking if if Jonah had just gotten up the first time God called him and went straight to Nineveh, or if God had selected anybody else in Israel and they got up and just went straight to Nineveh, rather than going through the fish's belly, I'm not so sure that the message would have had such passion, such power, and had been as effective as it was. I mean, don't you think Jonah's preaching might have had a little bit more passion as a result of his side trip to the ocean? Don't you think maybe the Ninevites related to his testimony just a little bit better because they saw it all over his body. And they were convinced that he was telling the truth. Because these people didn't know God, but they could see Jonah. And they heard his words and they believed. And Jonah probably said something to him like this. He probably said, well, if you're sitting in your house and God tells you to go to Nineveh, you might turn and run to Tarshish. And if you get on a ship to go to Tarshish, you might get into a storm. And if you get into a storm, they might toss you over the side because they want to get rid of you. And if you get tossed over to the side, you just might wind up in a fish's belly for three days and three nights. Nineveh, you don't want to wind up in a fish's belly for three days and three nights. You don't want God to judge you and destroy your city. Don't you sometimes wish that the impact Jonah had in Nineveh, that you could have that same impact in your life? You tell your family, your friends, your co-workers, your neighbors about Jesus, and they just believe what you say and repent 
and find Jesus? Well, God didn't give up on Jonah. God gave Jonah a powerful message of truth, and he gave Jonah a life experience like no one else had ever had. And he gave him the power to preach that word. And sometimes God has to take us through our own fish belly to prepare us to go to the Nineveh he sent us to. Some guy, sometimes God wants to take us through trouble. You know, what storms or what fish bellies might you be in today? Well, don't look on them as punishment. Don't think God is punishing you or this trouble is some kind of punishment. Think of it as the opportunity to be saved. Think of it as God working salvation in your life because he's working to purify your faith and your trust in him. And he's working to give you a second chance to trust him and to believe him. Aren't you glad God gives us a second chance? Has he given you a second chance in your life? Maybe a third or fourth or fifth or sixth chance? Seventh chance? Well, Jonah didn't want to preach the message precisely because he had such confidence in the message. He had confidence in God, he knew God's heart, and he knew the power of the message he was going to preach, and so he didn't want to deliver it to Nineveh, because he didn't want Nineveh to be saved. You know, Jonah was probably thinking, you know, if God would spare just ten people, and spare Sodom and Gomorrah because ten people believed in him in Abraham's day, I don't want to go to Nineveh and take the chance that maybe one person is going to believe, and God's going to spare Nineveh. Jonah had faith in God, and he had confidence, an unshakable confidence in the message that God gave him to deliver. And while I said Jonah was a lousy prophet, in many ways he was, but Jonah had one thing going for him. He was a man of faith. Jonah believed God. I think maybe that's, too, why God selected Jonah for this task. Because Jonah believed the message. Faith is believing in something you can't see and acting like it's already happened. And we can have faith in God this morning. We can have faith and trust Him. We can trust His heart and we can trust His message. And so while the story of Jonah is often considered just a fish tale, I think the true story of this book is the story of a loving Heavenly Father who pursues us with a powerful message of love and mercy and repentance and forgiveness. That's the story of Jonah. It's the story of the sovereignty of God who orchestrates our lives through circumstances to draw us to himself. Aren't you, aren't you glad that in those times in your life when, when maybe you ran in the opposite direction away from God, Maybe you disobeyed God and what he was telling you to do or where you were in your life. That Jesus Christ never gave up on you, but he continued to pursue you, continued to orchestrate circumstances in your life so that you'd be drawn to him. Doesn't it just warm your heart this morning in thanksgiving and praise? Well, through the storms of your life, just as in Jonah's life, maybe God woke you up and offered you redemption 
And maybe he's given you a story to tell. And I know that he is sending you to the Nineveh in your life. Just as God sent Jonah to Nineveh, God is sending you and each one of us in this room to Nineveh. That's Jonah's story to the end of chapter 3. Jonah goes to Nineveh and Nineveh believes and repents. I want to take just a few minutes to pull something out of this chapter today that's really been speaking to me of late. And especially I'm reminded of it again as I've been studying through the book of Jonah the last couple, three weeks as we've been going through the series. And I have to admit to you today that the message, I'm, the things I'm going to say to you right now apply as much or more to me than they do to you. God's really been working in my heart this week on this issue. Several of us on staff a few weeks, a few a couple months back went to a conference. And at that conference was a speaker who is now a Baptist pastor, but he was a former Muslim, and now he's a follower of Jesus. And I'm not going to try to pronounce his name because I'll just butcher it all up. But he gave a very challenging and encouraging talk. And he began his talk with this statement. He said, the greatest hindrance to the gospel is the Christian's lack of confidence in the gospel. The greatest hindrance to the gospel is Christian's lack of confidence in the gospel. Just as God called Jonah to be a missionary to the city of Nineveh, he's calling each one of us to be missionaries to the people that he's putting right in front of us. Jonah knew the power of God's message, and because he was so convinced of the power of the message, he did not want to preach it. He didn't want revival to happen in Nineveh. That's kind of faith in the opposite direction, isn't it? Isn't it kind of a weird faith? But he had faith. And I think Jonah witnessed a revival because he was confident in the message. And I think sometimes we don't witness the same kind of revival in our lives because maybe we don't have the same unshakable confidence in the message of the gospel that Jonah had in the message of good news he was to preach to Nineveh. So this morning, I want to encourage you with this. I want to spend some time just giving you some encouragement. That First off, Jonah was the specific person that God chose for Nineveh. Out of all the people in Israel, God knew what Jonah was going to do. He was the specific person person that God chose to go to Nineveh and in the same way you this morning are the specific person God has chosen to go to your own personal Nineveh and God can use you just as he used Jonah with all his issues and all his troubles God can use each one of us with all our failures or our weaknesses or our our talents and skills whatever God can use us in our Nineveh the same way God used Jonah in his Nineveh. You know, God took Jonah through the fish belly to tenderize him, to transform him. And sometimes God takes us through our own troubles to tenderize us and to transform us. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 1.16, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The Apostle Paul was confident and he had a complete, unshakable confidence in the gospel message because he knew it was the only power that can truly transform on this earth 
It's the only thing that can do that. Paul himself was a terrorist because Paul was a Christian killer. You remember that? But after he became a follower of Jesus and believed the gospel, Paul became a bold, uncompromising, effective witness for the gospel. And instead of being a man filled with hate and prejudice and anger, he became a man of love and peace. He became a messenger of peace, working diligently to deliver the message of the gospel. His heart was for people to be saved from destruction. And Jonah, in the same way, had that same unshakable confidence in the message of what he was to deliver. He was confident in God's loving, merciful heart, and he was confident in the message of the gospel he had to preach to Nineveh. And the message of the gospel that Paul is referring to in Romans chapter 1 is that Jesus died according to the scriptures and that he was buried And praise God, on the third day he arose according to the scriptures. Amen. And that message transforms lives. Both Paul and Jonah knew that when someone believes the message of God that it leads to repentance. And they both knew that we would be saved. Paul knew that we would be saved from eternal destruction and saved to a life of love that we can experience in this life and realize fully in the next. And so the question I've been posing to myself this week, and I think it's a good one, I want to ask you to just ask yourself in the coming weeks the same question. Just rehearse this question over and over again. Is there evidence in my life that I have an unshakable confidence in and commitment to the gospel? Do I believe that if I shared the gospel to the people in my life, that they would believe and be changed? Do I have confidence in that? I want to give you a challenge today, a challenge for us all to just examine ourselves this week. I want to give you a tool that in the days ahead, you could just examine yourself with regard to how unshakable is my confidence in the gospel. I know that we're all on the same, we're not all on the same journey, we're not all on the same path, we're not all on the same uh, maturity level with Jesus, so this is not a pass or fail, but these are signposts to help you as you gauge your life in the weeks and months and years ahead on do I have an unshakable confidence in the gospel? Do I believe the gospel message to take it to my Nineveh in the same way that Jonah believed in his message to take it to his Nineveh? Number one, if I have an unshakable confidence in the gospel, I position myself around people who do not know Jesus. Do you spend time engaging with and getting to know and relating to people who don't know Jesus? Or do you live in a Christian ghetto? All the people in your life are born again. And what I mean is that evangelism works best when we're in relationship with people. And so ask yourself, do I make an effort to get to know a few that don't know Christ? I mean, there are people maybe, let's just say co-workers. There are co-workers on your job. You know their names and you know they probably aren't followers. But do you really know them? Are you making time to get to know people that don't know Jesus so that in that relationship you can have the opportunity to share the gospel with them? Do I have confidence in the gospel? 
If I have an unshakable confidence in the gospel, I will share the gospel slowly and clearly. When you do interact with those who don't know Christ, do you take your time and bring them along, or do you feel like you have to perform some kind of sales job? Try to convince them. Well, Paul says the power is in the message of the gospel. Romans 1.16, I believe in the power of the gospel. So we don't need to convince or try to sell people on the gospel. In love, I just present to them my own fish story. And I tell them how God took me through the fish's belly. And then how that through the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he gave me that mercy and that salvation and how they can have that same. Number three, if I have an unshakable confidence in the gospel, I study the gospel in deep and varied ways. Do you love and spend time in God's word, taking it in deeply through meditating on the gospel? Meditating on how the gospel has changed your life. You know, I often say it's better to know one verse and do it than know the entire Bible and not obey it. And I can tell you that from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, God has one sermon in here. God has one message. And it's the redemption of man through Jesus Christ for his glory and for our joy. And you can find that on every page, in every chapter, in every story, you can find the gospel. So do you, when you study your Bible, do you look for the gospel? Give it a try. You'll be amazed at what you find. Because I have a complete confidence in that message. Number four, if I have an unshakable confidence in the gospel, I talk to people about the gospel to open their eyes, not transfer information. One of the best ways to share the gospel is after you've developed a trusting relationship with them, you share your testimony along with the words and truths surrounding what Jesus did at the cross and the empty tomb. You don't need to debate or convince them. You're not trying to teach them some deep theological issue. You're just trying to teach them who Jesus is. I was blind and now I see. You turn them on to Jesus and he'll take you from there. And that leads us to number five. If I have an unshakable confidence in the gospel, I ask myself, am I confident in my skill or in the power of the message? You know, we worry sometimes, and I have in my life, and I'm sure you do too. You know, I worry sometimes that maybe I don't understand all the verses, or maybe I'm not going to say it right. Maybe I don't know the four spiritual laws, right, or the seven steps to God, or the Romans road, or I don't have all the scriptures memorized, and if I, if I try to witness to people, I'm just going to mess it up. Well, that's putting confidence in my ability. Paul didn't say, for I am confident in the Apostle Paul. No, he said, I'm confident in the gospel. Jonah didn't want to preach the message because he knew the message would change Nineveh. The Holy Spirit is the one that convicts people of their sins. The Holy Spirit is the one that draws people to themselves. The Holy Spirit is the one that saves. I can't do that. You can't do that. So, let me just tell you that as you love people, and as you love Jesus, and as you know that the best thing for people is for them to love Jesus, you can't mess it up. You can't mess it up. You just open your mouth, and he'll take whatever you say, 
And he'll have their ears hear what they need to hear. And he'll have their heart believe what they need to believe. He just wants you to be willing to go to Nineveh. Go preach the message I'm giving you. That leads us to number six. If I have an unshakable confidence, there are times when I erupt in thanksgiving, praise, and worship. You know, as I love Jesus and I, as I study his word and the Holy Spirit just kind of moves in me, there are times when I just can't help but talk about him. It just comes out. Whatever's in my heart just comes out. There are times when I give him praise. There are times when I share his message because I have an unshakable confidence in that message. If I have an unshakable confidence in the message, and finally number seven, and probably the most important one, I am more fearful of being unfaithful than I am of being unfruitful. Instead of being worried about offending someone or being rejected by someone or, or what people might think about me or I might not do it right and then I just mess everything up, I worry more about what Jesus has asked me to do about not offending Jesus, about how Jesus will perceive my devotion to him. He said, go to Nineveh, Jonah, and tell them to repent. And he says to us, go into all the world and make disciples. Tell them about me. Share the gospel. So I just do it. Is that my attitude today? Well, hopefully you can take these seven characteristics of a gospel-confident life and just refer to them periodically in your life and just ask yourself, are these the characteristics or ideas in my life? Do I have that unshakable confidence in the gospel? You know, Jonah wasn't much of a prophet, but he was exactly the guy God used to save Nineveh. His personal testimony his own fish story, the power of the message of judgment made a difference in the, in the city of Nineveh. And God gave Jonah a second chance to fulfill that purpose so that Nineveh could be saved. And this morning as I've been talking, you might be sitting there thinking, you know, well, you know, I'm not much of a person. I don't really have much skill or talent or ability and I don't know how God can use me to save a city. Well, let me tell you, if God could use Jonah to save Nineveh, he can use you to save your Nineveh. You can have confidence in the power of the gospel to transform and turn the destruction of those people in your lives into salvation. So do you see, as we've been reading through Jonah, have you seen a bit of yourself in Jonah? I have. I've been seeing a little bit of me. Has God given you another chance in your life? Has God given you your own fish story to tell? Well, if he has... And go to Nineveh and preach the gospel. Let's pray. Jesus, I just thank you this morning. I thank you for the love and the power and the message of the gospel. I thank you for the fact that you have done everything you could do for us to give us the opportunity to know you, to relate to you, to love you, serve you, and worship you. I thank you for your gift of yourself to us. And Lord, I just thank you for everyone in this room right now. I thank you for giving each one of us our own fish stories, Lord, to tell. 
giving each one of us, Lord, our own testimony of how you came into our lives and rescued us from destruction. And now, Lord, you send us to our Nineveh, to our family, to our friends, to our co-workers, to our neighbors, to the people that you've placed right in front of us. And as our Nineveh, your desire is for us to go and preach your word. Lord, I pray that we would just have an unshakable confidence in your message, an unshakable confidence in your heart that you love the people in our lives more than we do. And I thank you this morning for all that you are and all that you do. And it's in your holy, precious name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand together. And as our prayer partners have come forward this morning, maybe, maybe there's a storm in your life right now. Maybe your ship is about to sink. Or maybe you're in the fish's belly this morning. And you need some prayer. Well, let me invite you to just come and pray with our prayer partners. Maybe God is sending you to your own Nineveh this morning and you want to turn and run. Come forward and and just pray with some of our prayer partners. Or maybe you find that you have, that you lack that unshakable confidence in the gospel that Jonah had in his message. And you want to pray and ask God to fill you with that confidence and that power. Or maybe this morning you just don't really even know Jesus Christ. And you want to find out who this man Jesus really is. And you want to give your life to him. Well, come forward. We'd love to pray with you and help you find Jesus. And also while we're coming forward to pray and we think of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ... You know, Jesus gave us a a ceremony to remind us constantly of the beauty and the power and the grace and the mercy and the truth of his death and his burial and his resurrection, of his gift of himself to us. And when he was in that upper room with the disciples that night and he gave them the cup and he said, take this cup and drink for it's my blood being shed for you. And he gave them the bread and he said, take this bread. And he broke it and he said, take this. This is my body broken for you. And I want you to do this. And as often as you do it, I want you to do it as a remembrance of me. Remember what I've done for you and worship me through a thankful heart, knowing that what I'm doing here is the only thing that's going to transform your life. So he gave us the Lord's table. And this morning as the worship team sings, there are tables around the, around the room here. And let me just invite you to, as you feel led, to come and take the cup and the bread and partake in communion this morning, remembering Jesus Christ. And take just a minute to, to pray and thank Him for all that He's done in your life this morning. Let's just worship together.